If you're watching uh, with us today, out there in cyberspace too, we want to welcome you. This is a fantastic Easter celebration. This is our third service of the morning. How many were in a Thursday and Friday service with us? Raise your hand. Hold them up there high. We have a, yeah. And uh, we've been celebrating all week from last week at the potluck dinner right on through on Thursday night, Holy Communion and Friday night, the service of the cross. And on Friday night, we ask the people to pin your hope on the cross. What do you hope for in your life? You know, the Bible says faith is the evidence of things not yet seen, but faith is the substance of things hoped for. What do you hope for? So as the sanctuary was completely dark in the service of the cross, at the end of the service, people took their hopes and the cross was out back and they, they pinned their hopes on the cross. This morning there's a garden around the cross and the cross is a place of hope. I just thought, how can I tell you the old, old story? We don't need anybody to embellish the story of, of Easter. How do we just tell the old, old story as it is? A woman by the name of Catherine Hankey and a man by the name of William Dome wrote a song about the old, old story. Hear their words. Tell me the old, old story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. Tell me the story simply. I think he was speaking to preachers here. Tell me the story. I, I thank you for that one amen I got. <laughs> I was expecting a standing O on that one. But anyway, no. Right? Don't we always uh, get it? Get it? So, hey, preacher, you know, bring it down in here. Tell me the story simply as to a, a little child. For I am weak and weary. Now listen to this phrase. And helplessly defiled. Have you ever felt helpless spiritually? This morning? Have you ever felt like uh, the wheels fell off? And they usually wait to fall off when everybody's dressed up and it's important we get to the next event. And there we are with no wheels, right? Spiritually, helplessly defiled. Tell me the story slowly that I may take it in. That wonderful redemption. God's remedy for sin. Tell me the story often, for I forget so soon the early dew of morning has passed away at noon. Tell me the old, old story. Tell me the old, old story. Tell me the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Point one, this is the oldest story about what Jesus did during Holy Week. It's in a, a group of literature, writings, I know you're going to get excited about this on Easter Sunday morning, and it's called the hexameral tradition. <laughs> I told you, I, I, 
I was almost expecting you to say hallelujah on that, the hexameral tradition. Say that with me, the hexameral tradition. One more time, the hexameral tradition. You know what that tradition is? What did God do in creation to assure the fact that His beloved in all of creation, humanity would not lose it, but would be able to live eternal life happily with God. God had to do a lot so that we wouldn't be lost. And so you know what the oldest story is? God came and He made human beings the direct object of His passion. You see, Easter week is called Passion Week, where God made every human being the direct object of His life so that you and I could have everlasting life. Listen, it's priceless. Nobody here ever did enough to be worthy of Christ dying on an old rugged cross so that you and I could be the direct object of God's love. But he did it, and the Bible says he did it for the joy set before him. The passion of Christ. Now in this hexameral witness, and this is point one, the central part of the story is called the harrowing of hell. Centuries one through four, this was the most important narrative about what Jesus did in Holy Week. I'm giving you the oldest part for the first four centuries after the church, the oldest part of the Easter story. And it's called the harrowing of hell. We don't even know what it means to harrow today, right? Right? Shake your head if you're right. Right, if I called you up one by one and said, harrow, what's it mean? I'd have to go, sit down. Next one, right? I might not even be able to get through the pastoral staff on this one. So I looked it up in the Webster's Dictionary for you. Here's what it means to harrow. To make a pillaging or destructive raid. What? Jesus on the cross made a pillaging, destructive raid. And that's what the ancients said. After the cross, for the next four centuries, they said the most important thing about Easter week is Christ made a pillaging, destructive raid. And it's called the harrowing of hell. Wow. Man, I didn't even know hell could make it in Easter sermon. Here's what it is. The first four centuries of Christian teaching. You see, they had uh, Ash Wednesday, of course, where everybody started the holy journey toward the cross on the Christian calendar. They had Palm Sunday, where everybody sang Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I said last week at Palm Sunday, they wanted Jesus to be an earthly king. But he said, now this is the RSV, the Ron Smith version. He said, no way, Jose.
If I'm your earthly king, the only good I'll ever be is for the people who lived in that day, in that time, and in that place. But you see, we have a problem. I'm responsible for all of humans who have ever lived. There's a problem. They've embarrassed themselves. They've separated themselves because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody here is in that category. Everybody here admits that all have sinned. And if you're not willing to admit it, you can admit it now because you just told your first lie. All have sinned. And so Jesus wasn't willing just to help some. The Bible says that God was willing that none should perish. And so for four centuries they said, what about Easter week? And here's what they said. Oh, that's the week when Christ harrowed death, hell, and the grave. You see, they had Holy Thursday where they took communion. They had Good Friday. By the 7th century, the church began calling Saturday Silent Saturday. And then Easter Sunday. Something happened between century 4 and century 7. Because Silent Saturday, for four centuries after Jesus died on the cross, was the harrowing of hell. Now I want to tell you point two. That old, old story called the harrowing of hell. First they played it out almost in Shakespearean fashion. There was an old stage there. And the demons were having a conversation in a room. Could have been a sanctuary like this, only instead of human beings, we were the fallen angels that rebelled against God. And because we rebelled against God, there was bitterness against God. And, and for years, the demons tried to snuff out the life of Jesus because perfect God did something that was miraculous. He took on fallen flesh. He became a human being like you and me. Perfect God isn't like you and me. But sure enough, he became a man. And the Bible says, and being found, this is Philippians chapter 2, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. All oh, the demons had him. They tried to get him before. They incited the crowd to pick up stones and throw stones to snuff out the life of Jesus. But the Bible said Jesus, knowing his hour had not yet come, passed through their midst. At another time, Jesus was up on a cliff and he was teaching the people. And it says they got angry and they tried to push Jesus off the cliff to his death. But Jesus passed through their midst. The demons knew that they had no power over Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went, he cast them out. The best hell could muster against Jesus in the snap of a finger, in the twinkling of an eye, Jesus cast them out. 
And for three and a half years of his earthly life, Jesus dealt hell and the demons nothing but misery. Now the demons didn't understand it, but there it was. All of a sudden, on a hill called Mount Calvary, they were flogging Jesus. They put a crown of thorns on his head. This God who was so almighty, the power of hell had nothing to triumph over him. In a moment's time was beginning a false service of praise. Jesus was nailed to an old rugged cross and he gave up his ghost and died. And then they took Jesus off the cross. They put him in a tomb where no one had ever been laid. The people had come. The women, they had about a hundred pounds of burial spices to prepare the body of Jesus. He was as dead as dead could be. And in this ancient story, the harrowing of hell, they were beginning to have a praise and worship service that didn't sound like our praise and worship service. In the regions of the damned, the demons rejoiced because their plot had been victorious. Hell now was as powerful as Almighty God and all of the fallen angels said, we're like Him. And in the ancient story, something happened on Silent Saturday that nobody had been anticipating. Jesus went while he was laying in the bowels of the earth. And the Roman Catholics and the Presbyterians, who, by the way, both have it exactly right on this issue, say in the Apostles' Creed, he descended into hell. There sat Satan with a big, a big key ring. The keys of life that were once Adam's. But that old serpent deceived Adam and Eve. And now Adam was stripped of the keys of life. And Satan was holding it. Here it is. We're the ones with all of the power. And who shows up in hell from the inside out? This broken, bleeding form of the suffering servant of Jesus who was bruised for our iniquities. He was crushed on an old rugged cross. And Jesus silenced the praise party in the regions of the damned. And he walked back up to Satan and he took Adam's keys off of his side. You know why? The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the final Adam. That he is the perfect Adam. He's the second Adam who came. Adam fell and we were all under a curse. The Bible says, for as in Adam, all die. Now stands a suffering Savior. Crushed. Crucified. Dead and buried. And in the regions of the damned, he takes the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And he says the rest of the story. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Silent Saturday for the ancients 
was the biggest day. You say, Ron, do you have any scripture? I mean, that sounds crazy to me. Oh yeah, there's plenty of scripture. Simon Peter said that Jesus went and preached to the spirits who were in prison. You see, they were in a holding place. The ancients called it Sheol, just a holding place until the Messiah, the prophesied Messiah would come. And all of a sudden, there he is, a crucified Savior, dead and buried into the heart of the earth. Simon Peter said he preached to the spirits who were in prison. And you know what the Apostle Paul said? Before Jesus ascended, he descended into the lower parts of the earth. And he made captivity captive. And when he ascended, everybody that had been trapped in the grave had a way out. You say, that's crazy. Could you give me a little more scripture? I'll give you a scripture that sounds as crazy as can be when we're talking about this. Matthew chapter 27, the gospel on the crucifixion. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. You see, they thought he was hallucinating. The rest said, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. You feel the rejection? When the Savior of the world is laying down his life, the humans that he's coming to save are doing nothing but mocking him. At that moment, Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, and he gave up his spirit. And immediately, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. The rocks split. Now listen to it. It's the only place in Scripture it appears. And the tombs broke open. And the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Look, Mom, guess who's coming home to Easter dinner today? Dead Aunt Sadie. How in the world, right in the middle of the Easter passage, do you get a bizarre scripture like that? That dead people came walking out of their tombs and the people around Jerusalem could see them. Here's how. The ancients had it right. Jesus broke the gates of death, hell, and the grave wide open. And I want to tell you this, brothers and sisters. There are some who fear death, but I want to tell you a great reality at point two of this sermon. It moves to point three. Don't think of loved ones who have died in faith as having died, but think of them now in Jesus as being full alive. Why? Death could not hold him. And death can't hold his people. 
You have loved ones who had faith. Death can't hold them. They're people of everlasting life. Now we know that death can hold no one. One of the great contemporary songwriters of our day said this, the grave became a place of hope. We've got our hopes pinned on the cross. The grave became a place of hope for the heart that sin and sorrow broke is beating once again. So instead of death as the ultimate disconnect, begin thinking of Christ's victory over death as God's eternal reconnect. We were broken, we were defeated, we were lost, and we were headed for that eternity known as a sinner's hell. But Jesus Christ reconnected the dots. He took our place. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Do you know the only piece of literature I've found in the 20th century on the harrowing of hell, the old, oldest story about Easter week, is in a song that a college girl wrote. Keith Green made the song Platinum before he was killed in a plane wreck. And the song is called The Victor. And uh, I've said it twice because I'm doing this as the final of a three-part series called The Victor. Now listen to these words, please, carefully. Stay with me just a little bit more and listen to these words. Swallowed into earth's dark tomb. Death has triumphed. That's what they say. He was crucified, dead, and buried. Death has triumphed. That's what they say. But as he enters Hades' tomb, the Son of God rose on the third day. Look! The gates of hell are falling. They're crumbling from the inside out. He's bursting through the walls with laughter. Listen to the angels shout. It is finished. He has done it. Life conquered death. Jesus Christ has won it. His plan of battle fooled them all. They led him off to prison to die. But as he enters Hades Hall, he breaks those hellish chains with a cry. Listen to the demon screaming. See him bruise the serpent's head. The prisoners of hell redeeming. Are you ready for, for Keith Green's last word by this college girl's song? The prisoners of hell redeeming all the power of death is dead. The praise band had it right this morning when they said people didn't rob the grave of Jesus to promote a hoax in history. God robbed death, hell, and the grave of their hold on everybody in the human race so that here on this Easter Sunday morning, I can say not only is Christ risen indeed, but he has made a gate 
so that you and I, despite all of our sin, through repentance and giving our hearts to Jesus Christ, we can be the victorious people of God who reign with God. Thanks be to God. This morning, you have the victory. Why? Because Jesus has the keys. And do you know what the Bible says? He gave them back to his followers. He gave the keys of eternal life back to his followers. What should that mean to you today? That when Christ went on that raid to harrow hell, your victory once and for all is the free gift of God so that you triumph. We are a church against which the gates of hell will never prevail. Why? Because we're named Trinity? No, because we're named Christian. Because Christ is alive, you are alive and will always be alive and death cannot hold you because you are the church in triumph with the risen Christ. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, go walking out of your church as the people who hold the signs and the witness of everlasting life. Amen.